Hi, you're listening to Check Us Out, the podcast for the Montclair Public Library. Thanks for joining us this month. I'm Peter Coyle, the Library Director. If you haven't been to the library, we're offering limited in-person service on our first floor. Visit our website, montclairlibrary.org, for more information, including our hours and our restrictions that we have in place. In this month's episode, you're going to learn some exciting programs and lectures that our adult school is offering from Maurice. And then Molly is going to talk about an upcoming financial literacy program and our November Open Book, Open Mind series. She's also going to talk about cooking. There are shows you can stream on Canopy and Hoopla and some things you can read through RB Digital or things you can check out here at the library, like our large collection of cookbooks. And to talk more about books, Ken is going to be discussing sequels that will be coming out in November, and Kirsten is going to be discussing new YA releases that you can download as ebooks or e-audio. And then to wrap up the program, Ariel is going to interview Nancy Burke, author of the new book, Only the Women Are Burning. We hope you enjoyed this program. Welcome, everyone. This is Maurice from the Adult School Department. And as always, this is Molly from the Adult Services Department. We're here again to tell you about upcoming programs and activities here at the Montclair Public Library for the month of November. Yes, we are. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, I never know how to do the introduction. I can start off with the adult school, and after that, we can uh, hand it over to Molly to talk about what's going on with adult services. Sounds good. As for the adult school, we have uh, several exciting talks coming up, a new language class, and some handy lessons, handy skills lessons, I should say, as well. On Friday, November 6th at 10.30 a.m., we'll be offering a free lecture on African-American women in the boat that will be led by Dr. Lily Edwards a professor emeritus of history and African-American studies at Drew University. She did two lectures on slavery in the American colonies, which are both well attended and very exciting. So we're looking forward to her talk on the African-American woman in the vote. That's going from, you know, slavery times to the right to vote to civil rights movement, a very impactful lecture, I'm sure. Keep with the election season theme. We also be offering the next four years in the White House, more of the same or a complete turnaround on Thursday, November 12th at 7 p.m. This will be led by our global affairs instructor, Pierre Fabian. He's a former UN officer. He will dissect the foreign policy implications of the presidential election, the outcome of the presidential elections, I should say. And staying in the realm of the American impact on the world and vice versa, we'll be offering the Vietnamese boat people on Tuesday, November 10th at 7 p.m. Montclair's own Tracy Gwen Mang, founder and chief storyteller of the Vietnamese Boat People podcast, will shed light on the families at the center of this key Cold War era migration that not a whole lot of people know about, so I'm really looking forward to this one. As for the language class I mentioned, we'll be offering beginning, a beginning German course on Tuesday, number 3rd at 10 a.m. This is a five-week course for German. I didn't know, but apparently Germany, German, I should say, is one of the most popular languages in Europe. I did not know that before uh, speaking to the instructor. And as for the crafters, we have a number of very interesting classes. We'll be offering competition for photographers on Thursday, November 5th at 6.30 p.m. And advanced embroidery techniques on November 12th at 10.30 a.m. We'll also be offering make the most of your iPhone photography on November 17th at 6.30 p.m. And to prepare for the holiday season, we'll be offering a candle-making workshop on Thursday, November 19th at 2 p.m. 
So we're trying to cover a, a lot of bases, the election season, the holiday season, and just general, uh, just under, better understanding of the general environment around us, some cultural education. So we have those and more classes. If you want to learn more, just shoot over to adultschool.org to see our full roster of classes for the uh, remainder of the fall season. Sounds like a good lineup. You had me on the edge of my seat with the new language. I wasn't sure if you were going to actually say what the new language was. I was like, <laughs> what is it? Um, so is that the first time that y'all are offering German? It the, is. In recent it memory? It is. It is. Our first German class, you know, in recent times. So we're, we're very excited about it. You know, a lot of people like visiting Germany. I've visited Germany. I uh, loved it a lot. I've been to Cologne. I've been to several towns there. A lot of history um, leading up to the war, of course, and around the war. But also a lot of uh, classic history there as well. You know, a lot of um, publishing has this uh, foundations, large foundation in Germany. I believe I've been to the site of the Gutenberg Bible, I believe, which is in uh, Germantown, you know, you know, very historic publishing feat that has roots in Germany. Nice, nice. So people can start with the language and maybe get to know the culture. Sure. That's cool. I have just two programs I'm going to highlight for November. One is on November 10th, and it's with the Investor Advocacy Project of Seton Hall. It's an overview of financial literacy skills and um, some information about securities fraud. So if you have an interest in those topics and want to empower yourself with getting a, getting a better understanding of finances, that's going to be a good one. We've worked with them before, and I, I like the way that they kind of pitch it to all levels. So if you have a really no, no understanding of it or a basic understanding of financial topics, you can kind of ease into it and, and they'll explain it well. Good for beginners. On November 15th, we have another open book, open mind program, and that will be with Peter Baker and Susan Glasser. And that will be, they'll be discussing the book, The Man Who Ran Washington, um, The Life of James A. Baker III. And um, that's at 4 p.m. on Sunday the 15th. Those are our two main events. Um, and you can find out more at MontclairLibrary.org. And those two are, are both free programs, I should say. Wonderful. Um, so making it easy. I also have more to say, not program related. I wanted to talk because we're heading into the holiday season. It's going to be a little bit different this year, I think, than in other years probably smaller gatherings, if any gatherings. But I wanted to highlight some of our cooking resources because I feel like even if you have a very small holiday gathering, it's still important to have your favorite foods and have a great spread and a great meal. Critically um, important. Yes, I think so. I may, might just make myself a pie. I don't know. But mm -hmm. <laughs> even if it's just one person, it's okay. So we have a couple different things. We have cooking shows and videos, we have cooking magazines, and we have plain old cookbooks. So cookbooks is self-explanatory. You can uh, place a hold at bccls.org or just call us and we'll recommend some. We also have Hoopla and Canopy are our two main like video platforms. And they have some really good shows on there. For example, Hoopla has something called the Great British Baking Show, which I think is different from the Great British Bake Off, but equally British, equally baking related, and a couple other interesting documentaries. And then Canopy has a lot of the great courses, which I don't know how to describe them. They're, they're basically, they started out, I think, as like big DVD sets and they still make them, but Canopy also has a bunch of the great courses just in their streaming. They have them on all different topics, but they have this whole series called the Everyday Gourmet, where they'll take you through how to make certain foods. So for example, they have the Everyday Gourmet Baking Pastries and Desserts, the Everyday Gourmet the Joy of Mediterranean Cooking. So they have all kinds of ones. So I definitely encourage you to check those out. 
And then last but not least, we also have cooking magazines, as I said, through RB Digital, which is our magazine service. You get current issues and back issues of, of popular magazines. There's an app. You can also look at it in a browser. You can find out more on our website, but they have a lot of cooking magazines, including All Recipes, Bon Appetit, Cooks Illustrated, Rachel Wright Every Day, Taste of Home, and Vegetarian Today, and those were just the ones that I wrote down. There is more. So I just wanted to highlight those bunch of different resources um, that you can enjoy for cooking ideas or just if you're just like watching cooking shows. Um, and then, of course, we have a ton of cookbooks, so I definitely encourage you to check those out wide range of topics, including like celebrity cookbooks and special diets and can't go wrong with an old fashioned cookbook. Yeah, I mean, and that's so valuable, you know, not just for, you know, the uh, entertainment value of uh, dishes, you know, for the holidays, but as we become more health conscious due to current events or, you know, the current situation, public health situation, it's so valuable to, you know, looking to food to steer good health. You know, what you eat is very important to, you know, how you feel, you know, and how uh, overall health and wellness. So that's a key component to that. So knowing how to, you know, make creature meals at home is a big part of that, you know, rather than to having to always have to get it out where you expose yourself to some things you may not want to. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of people have an interest in making things at home, making bread, making sure. soups and all these things that people have been stuck at home and have been, you know, making, trying new things. I only wish I had shared this information sooner, but Definitely, if you're like experimenting with different foods at home and having fun with that, I think library can be of use to you. Sure. Well, that's it. That's all I have for today. I think it was a good one. That's <laughs> I very, say very so useful. myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. I agree. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you all. Have a, a safe and you know healthy and joyous Thanksgiving season. We'll see you all again in December. Yeah, catch you next time. Catch you next time. Hi, it's Ken, and November must be Continuations Month because for this month's new releases, I've got some new series titles and sequels. The big news this month is not that there is a new Jack Reacher novel, there's one of those every year, but that author Lee Child is retiring from writing the series. He is passing the baton to his younger brother, Andrew. Andrew has published several thrillers under his real name, Andrew Grant, but will be writing the Reacher books as Andrew Child. The new book is co-authored by both brothers. The Sentinel is about a cyber attack, a cover-up, and the unassuming IT worker caught in the middle and needing Reacher's help. I love the Reacher books, and I'm looking forward to seeing the technophobic hero in the midst of a tech conspiracy. The changing of the guard behind the scenes is going to bring more attention than usual to the new book. Similarly, when a series author dies, I lose interest when a new author is brought in to continue it. An exception to this is Robert B. Parker's Spencer series. Part of it is that I love the character so much that I wanted to continue to see what he was up to. Another part is that the Parker estate picked the perfect author to write the new Spencer books. I had already liked Ace Atkins' Nick Travers books, Crossroad Blues being a favorite of mine, and I equally enjoy what he has done with the Spencer books. The new one is called Someone to Watch Over Me, and it is a follow-up to one of Parker's absolutely best books, Small Vices. In that book, Spencer is trying to clear a young man framed for murder and runs up against his toughest adversary, the Gray Man, who puts the near-indestructible detective into a coma. Now, helping a former client investigate the assault of a young woman, he crosses paths with the Gray Man again. A less heralded but no less fascinating series is Ken Bruin's Jack Taylor novels. 
Jack Taylor is an alcoholic ex-Garda, that's the Irish police force, in Galway City who constantly struggles with his past demons. In the latest book, A Galway Epiphany, Jack has to deal with one of those demons, at least to him, the Catholic Church. After surviving a freak accident, the two boys who tend to him are convinced that they've been part of a miracle. Jack is hired to expose the truth and runs afoul of the still-powerful church. I've always liked Bruin's writing and characters, plus my own family comes from Galway City originally, so I always look forward to these books. A few years ago, there was a story collection called From a Certain Point of View. It took the plot of the original Star Wars film and retold it from the point of view of minor characters like Luke's aunt, his friend Biggs, and even the monster in the trash compactor. Now there's a new volume which does the same for The Empire Strikes Back. We see the familiar story through the eyes of the Wampa, the bounty hunters chasing Han Solo, and the clans who live in the Cloud City, among others. The first book was fascinating, and since Empire is my favorite Star Wars movie, I'm excited to read this one as well. Last, we have a sequel. Not much has been leaked about this one yet, but it'll no doubt be very popular. Ernest Cline's Ready Player One was a phenomenon combining sci-fi, some dystopia, and a lot of pop culture references. Now comes Ready Player Two, which takes place immediately after the conclusion of the first book. Wade Watts, after winning the competition in the first book, discovers a technological advancement that could change the world. New mysteries and new enemies stand in his way, and the future of humanity hangs in the balance. That's about all I know about it so far, but it looks like a lot of fun. That's all for this month. I hope some of these make your reading lists. Take care. Hello, this is Teen Services Librarian Kirsten, back with more ebook and e-audiobook recommendations. First up is Among the Beasts and Briars by Ashley Poston. This novel, set in the fantasy world of Aloria, follows the story of Ceres. Aloria is a peaceful land free of drought and disease, but due to an ages-old bargain, it's surrounded by a dark, cursed forest. Ceres' mother and several friends were killed by the woods when she was a young child, and she now carries a small piece of the curse in her blood. As a new queen is about to be crowned, the curse begins to descend upon the kingdom itself, and Ceres finds that due to the magic in her veins, she might be the only one capable of saving her home. This immersive novel is perfect for fans of dark fantasy. Next, we have Breathless by Jennifer Niven. This novel focuses on more mature themes of sexuality and is recommended for older teen readers. Main character Claudia is finishing high school and looking forward to starting college, an epic summer road trip and the opportunity to begin to explore her sexuality. Her summer plans go off the rails when her parents suddenly announce that they're separating and that she will be spending the summer with her mother on a remote island off the coast of Georgia. Once there, however, she meets a mysterious young man named Jeremiah and decides that perhaps the summer is salvageable after all. A great read with themes of self-determination and owning one's own identity. Next, we have Dear Justice by Nick Stone, which picks up several years after the events of its predecessor, Dear Martin. Justice is now at Yale University and begins receiving letters from Quan, an old neighbor from his Atlanta neighborhood. Quan is now in a juvenile detention center and his story unfolds through his letters, flashbacks, and vignettes. This powerful story explores the broken criminal justice system and the disproportionate way that it impacts young black men. A timely must read, especially for readers of Dear Martin and Nick Stone's other novels. Finally, we've got a new novel by Marie Liu. Sky Hunter is a fast-paced story of a refugee warrior named Talon a young woman swarmed to protect her adopted homeland of Mara after her country of birth was destroyed by a mysterious powerful force known as the Federation. When a prisoner is brought to Mara's capital, Talon must assess what he's hiding. 
Is he a spy for the Federation, or does he hold other secrets that may be vital if Talon hopes to save Mara from destruction? This is a must-read for fans of Marie Lu and for fans of fast-paced action-adventure generally. Thanks for joining me again. I'll be back next month with some more recommendations. Happy reading! Okay, this is Ariel Zeitlin from the Montclair Public Library, and I'm interviewing Nancy Burke, who is a local author who's just come out with a new mystery novel called Only the Women Are Burning. Nancy, welcome. Thank you, Ariel. Thanks for having me. So when and why did you move to Montclair? I've always loved this town. And it probably goes back to my years at Montclair State University. I was an undergrad there. Actually, I grew up in Bloomfield, which was right next door, and commuted through Montclair every day to Montclair State. And always loved the flavor of the town, the big old colonials and Victorians, and the buzz in this town. I've kind of always been connected because I actually was born here. You know, I was the second child of seven, and my parents were renting on Montague Place. And uh, so I was born at Montclair Community Hospital, which is no longer here. They moved to Bloomfield. And then when I, um, you know, when I bought my first house in my marriage, I bought on Edgemont Road near Anderson Park. And I've been in town ever since. Do you have a favorite book? Is there a book that's had the greatest influence on you? I'd have to say um, my favorite author is, for all time, is Flannery O'Connor. I just love her biting humor and her poking fun and you know, pointing out the foibles of the world that she lived in in the South. And I think a lot of people don't understand that she's really poking fun at the people around her while she kind of parodies their lives. Is there anything special that you love about the library, a best kept secret about Montclair Public Library? I love, I love the library because, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, but it's a library. And a library just does the most amazing things for a community. It's a gathering place. I have a scene in my book where the protagonist is going to the library because she needs to read a book. And she encounters a homeless person outside the library, which is, you know, one of those indications that the library is something for everybody. No matter who you are, no, ma no matter what socioeconomic status you are, it's a community, you know, it's a pull together place for everyone. And I guess that's really the reason why I just think libraries are really important places in towns like ours and basically in any town. Oh, that's a great answer. So getting back to the book, as you said, before we started, this is a very Montclair book. Can it you, is a very Montclair can you book. tell me a little bit more about that? Montclair, I, well, I've been in town since 1988 and I've raised three children in this town and I was at home raising my children. So I spend so much time in every part of this town through all the phases of my life, through all the phases of my children's lives. You know, when I undertook to write this novel, it just was a natural place for this novel to take place because this town has so many different neighborhoods, so many different kinds of people. Uh, it's a place where 
you can walk down the street or you can walk through a park and you can meet, you know, you can, you can cross paths with somebody like Stephen Colbert, or you can cross paths and have a really intense conversation with a nanny from Jamaica. And it just seems like it, Montclair is such a melting pot to use a uh, kind of a pat phrase that it gives the opportunity to just bring in so many elements that a more homogenous town would not give you the opportunity to do. Right, so it gives you scope as a writer. Very much so, yes. To me, the central image of your book or images that really struck me were the women spontaneously combusting, literally bursting into flame in the middle of this suburban town. And I'm wondering where that came from. Was that the genesis of the book, The Colonel? That was the genesis. I, um, I was sitting under a tree at the swimming pool where I took my children when they were young. This is how long ago this idea came to me. And I was writing in my journal and that imagery just came to me and it was like it flowed through my hand onto the page. And I kind of sat back and I said, what did I just write? I played around with it and I went home and I looked up spontaneous human ignition just because I was like, that's what just happened and found out that it actually is a phenomenon that paranormal people have, you know, have pondered and the FBI has looked into throughout time. And I just, uh, you know, I would talk about this idea to friends. I had a mom's group and I would bring that idea up with them. And the moms would just kind of look at me and say, wow, yeah, I can, I have some days where that could just happen to me. Or I almost <laughs> wish it could happen to me because I feel like I just want to, you know, kind of like airlift myself up and out of certain situations that are difficult. And boy, I could just, you know, morph into some new life form and start over. So, so that was kind of the psychological premise behind the use of that, of that you know, that, uh, that phenomenon of bursting into flame. As I dug into it, I found out that Charles Dickens uses it in Bleak House way, way back in the 1860s. So I thought, okay, I'm not crazy. I can put this in a novel that could be a mainstream novel and not have people roll their eyes and say, well, that could never happen. <laughs> because they did that to him. And he responded in a later um, edition of Bleak House and said, well, no one has ever proven that it can't happen. So I said, okay, how can I prove that it can happen? How can I make it actually happen in a town that is a very realistic setting and have this phenomenon happen and have my readers believe that it's actually plausible, you know, element for a book? Well, for me, one of the central mysteries was, is this magical realism? Is it science fiction? I often read fantasy, so it had a kind of fantastical element that I was drawn to. And then I thought it was really interesting how you wove the other elements. I don't want to give away the end of the book of why it was the women who were burning. And I, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about why you decided that only the women would burn. It kind of was decided for me by the idea. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I pondered that and uh, I took a look at the emotional, the emotional lives of, the, of, of women 
you know, I could go into a whole discussion about patriarchy. I can go into a whole discussion about women's roles in life. You know, I grew up, um, I came of age in this, you know, the late 70s, early 80s, where women were breaking down barriers in many different roles in many different parts of life. And um, it wasn't easy. And I think today there might be, you know, younger generations today who don't realize how difficult it was for women to have their voices heard, to be ascribed legitimacy in their opinions and their ideas and their creativity, particularly in the workplace, but it also happens in the home where the power very often goes to the person who is the breadwinner and the woman's role, no matter what she did prior to, let's say, giving up a career for the sake of the family and children, how her power can diminish in a relationship. And what does a woman do with that ebbing of power and that feeling that she's losing that ground? And what does a woman do to cope with those things? There are all kinds of self-help things that we all engage in, yoga, meditation, I can name a number. And there is a self-help method that the women in this book choose. It creates a divide in a women's group. There is a line in the book when Cassandra, the, uh, the protagonist, has a conversation with a man who is a quasi-scientist and self-help guru. And there's a line in there where she asks him if he had any male followers in his methodology. And he makes a very, very brief comment about why he does not have men who are necessarily embracing you know, his philosophy. And I'm not gonna give that away in our interview because I don't wanna give any spoilers, but it's a really important view that he had. Mm-hmm. My daughter actually is, is diving into looking at cults and how people's minds get kind of ensconced by a cult leader. And there's a little bit of a touch of that in this why the women and not the men. What you're saying really reminds me of Ada Calhoun's Why We Can't Sleep. And we, Ada was, came on Open Book, Open Mind at the library in April. She was our first online guest. And there is that sense that although your fictionalized Montclair is, is in many ways a happy town, there's also a lot of dissatisfaction and unhappiness among the women there. Was that a hard balance to strike? How to portray it, the town as a whole? You know, it's always tough to kind of differentiate between, you know, what are, what are the major things that are good in life and what are the little nitpicky things that could really kind of drive us down? Mm. This book does, you know, there is, there is a place where you start to realize that while we carry on in a beautiful in a beautiful setting, like a beautiful place in Montclair, where you have everything at your disposal, not everybody participates in that. And even people who do participate in that have these little tough points in their lives. Or deep abiding yeah. sorrows. Pina Chodra, who is a, a yoga guru, she talks about that, that itch that you always scratch, that itch that is that you always go back to in your mind that just kind of preoccupies you. And no matter how beautiful your life, everybody has those. Some of them are acknowledged and some aren't. Um, but we all have them. Another point that I, um, that I could probably bring out in this question is, I can walk through Montclair, or any woman can walk through Montclair, stop at CVS, be in the supermarket, 
and come across another woman who you just have a very casual conversation with. And you can get really down into women's issues at the drop of a hat with a complete stranger and have like really in-depth emotional exchange conversations and then just walk away and maybe never see each other again or, you know, cross paths and, you know, a couple of weeks later in the park and just kind of wave, but you know each other in a way that nobody else perhaps shares that little nugget of sharing that you did with each other. And I find that a fascinating phenomenon that happens to me all the time. It's like the phenomenon of sitting next to a stranger on a plane and having a really intimate conversation with them and then getting up and going and never seeing them again. Right. So what was the most interesting or difficult part of writing this book? The most difficult part found its way into Cassandra's quest, which was what happened? How did it happen? How to make it plausible and how to sequence her discoveries as she goes through her own inquiry into this and sequence it in a way that is full of suspense that takes in a lot of disparate elements and then somehow blends them together to come to the final solution. That was the trickiest part of creating this book. If you could tell one thing about this book to people, what would you tell them? Other than please read it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what I would say is it is such a blend of different elements. Uh Uh-huh. It was, um, it's a cross-genre book. It's a mystery, but it's also cross-genre. So it asks many questions. Uh And it asks the reader to pay attention to those questions. To make a plug, but not make a plug for readers, is I think women's book groups would really get into the different dropped-in elements of women's lives that they will find in this book. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that is the most important thing about this book is that you can't know this book by looking at the title and reading the description. It only barely hints at what the depth is that this book goes into and the disparate elements that it touches on. An agent friend of mine said, yeah, it's cross genre. She said a lot of the agents who said no to this book got it wrong because that it's not a book that you can know just by reading the jacket cover. You have to take a dive into it and kind of be brave and go ahead and give it a try. One of the things that I was thinking about when I read the book was that the fear that sweeps through the town after the women spontaneously combust and the concerns about where we might be safe or where we might be unsafe really reminded me of the coronavirus. And did that strike you at all afterwards? Because obviously it's, much time elapsed since you wrote the book and that happened. Um, yes, I, uh, I got my early um, ARCs back in the spring, just when the pandemic was hitting. And I had to sit quietly and read through these, my own book very carefully. And it's after not having gone through it for several months and went back and said, oh, the fear is exactly like the fear we're experiencing now. Women are afraid to go out. They're hiding at home. They're believing certain things. They're not believing other things. They're looking for leadership to tell them what to do. They're not finding it. They're, going, they're having to create their own explanations and their own coping mes- mechanisms for dealing. So yes, it really did strike me 
that it's not exactly like the pandemic, but the emotional fear definitely mirrors what we're all experiencing today. Right, and when the daughter, Lila, says, Mom, I'm not safe indoors either. I'm not safe outdoors, I'm not safe indoors. And I, I thought, you know, that just really reminds me of how we all felt, especially in the beginning of the pandemic. I think it was one of those moments where uh, life imitates art, if you will. So are you working on another novel? I'm working right now on two different things. I'm contemplating writing a follow-up to this one with the same character, mm -hmm. uh, with her, within a different phase of life. I'm contemplating maybe I should do like Alice Hoffman does with her novels where she has very similar themes, but she'll take a different family and she'll put them through very similar paces uh, in her magic, her practical magic mm -hmm. and the rules of magic uh, novels where it might be a, you know, a similar thing, but a different character that I haven't worked out yet in my mind, but I'm also working on a collection of short stories and my working title for that collection is Units of Measure. And I'm trying to work, I'm starting with character sketches and looking at what are the things that people value in their life? What do they measure their own success against? What are their inches or their meters or their, um, their miles? And how do they, um, or their dollars, let's say, their accomplishments and uh, how do they make themselves feel like they're okay? Wow, I really like that. And I love the title, Units of Measure. Well, congratulations on finishing your book and publishing your book. I always feel admiring of people who do that. Everything in life mitigates against writing, as we know. And I wish you all the best with it. Thank you so much for making time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Ariel. Okay, take care. Bye-bye now. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of Check Us Out. As always, we welcome your feedback and suggestions. Remember, you can download our MPL app on the Apple Store or Google Play. And you can reach us and find more information about our program services, hours of operation, and everything else at our website, montclairlibrary.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next month for another episode.